You're listening to the King's Church Podcast. Visit us online at kingswisbeach.org.uk. Today I am speaking about um, one of the Beatitudes. We're carrying on our sermon series, looking at the Beatitudes. Um, it's just something we call these collection of, of sayings. Um, and they are blessing statements that Jesus made at the start of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. All right, this is one of the first times Jesus preached to the crowds after coming out of the desert and after being baptized. And, and he had temptations when he was in the desert. And he comes out the desert and then he preaches to a crowd. And this is one of the first times that he did this. And this kind of marks the start of his earthly ministry. And there's loads of stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. These little blessing statements, these beatitudes, are just the beginning, the tip of the iceberg. All right. And we've been going through each one of these over the past few weeks. If you haven't caught up with them, you can catch them on our website and YouTube channel to fill yourself into of the blessings and the, and the beatitudes that we've looked at before today. But today I'm looking at blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. You can find this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, blessed, we have looked at what this word blessed or blessing means in, in some of the previous sermons. But another aspect of blessing is this idea of restoration of being restored to how God intended things to be. When we are blessed, we are restored to a right standing with God. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And I think this one, and as I go through, I hope you, you start to see. I, I'll, I'll tell you the end at the beginning, so that hopefully you can spot it as we go through. This one almost reflects that saying, you know, I'm blessed to be a blessing. You know that, that saying, I'm blessed to be a blessing. Well, here, peacemakers, we're actually blessing people through the process of peacemaking, which I'll explain in a bit. And as we bless others, we too are blessed in return. Now, did you know that this is the only verse in the Bible, Matthew 5, 9, it's the only verse in the Bible where the word peacemaker is actually used. However, there are many examples of what it means to be a peacemaker found throughout the Bible. And we're going to look at just a couple of those today. Now, peacemaking is celebrated not just in the Bible, but in society in general. Each year, there's a special global award called the Nobel Peace Prize. And it's given to someone who has been exemplary in working towards peace between nations or people groups in that year. And the United Nations have even set aside the 21st of September each year, did you know, as being the International Day of Peace. 
where it's hoped that peace can be strengthened and celebrated through the laying down of arms for 24 hours. Whether that actually happens or not, who knows? But the intention is there. So peace is a yearning of the human heart. When we see the violence and hear about the bloodshed and wars around us, something deep inside cries out for peace. That's not only wars that we're talking about. We're talking about relationships between each other. You might, you might not be able to jump in a tank when you fall out with someone in church or in your family and go and shoot down their house, all right? War is like the, the sort of the extreme end, all right? But peace comes into all relationships and being a peacemaker as well. So we're aware of the tainted and broken nature of ourselves as well as of the creation that we are a part of. And we have a sense that things are not the way they're supposed to be. The world is broken. The world is selfish. And there is greed and evil within us. And this is all a result of sin. But as Christians, we are not without hope nor is our heart cry for peace unanswered. Because you see, Jesus himself is called the Prince of Peace. And he, in turn, calls those who choose to follow him and count themselves as children of God to be peacemakers. Biblical peacemaking, however, is not an avoidance of conflict or glossing over issues. Oh, well, we'll just ignore that bit, you know, that, that doesn't matter. Oh, well, no, that's not what peacemaking is. Instead, biblical peacemakers actually run towards the problems and face them head on in order to bring about reconciliation between the people involved and between those people and God, and also with each other. One of the examples I'm going to be looking at today, um, you can find in the Old Testament. It's in 1 Samuel 25. If you've got your Bibles, have a look. I'm only going to be delving into a bit of the story. I think it's a wonderful story. And it goes on. And there's even more to the story after the bit I've described today. We're looking at the story of Abigail. And she turns up a few times in the Bible. But this is the part I'm looking at today where we first are introduced to her in 1 Samuel 25. And she is the wife of a guy called Nabal. I'm going to call him Nabal. I might not be pronouncing it right, but there we go. And Nabal was rich, but he was also terribly unkind. He was nasty, right? Nasty piece of work. Now, this was at the same time as King David. He wasn't king at this point. Um, 
But previously, David's men had been good to Nabal's shepherds and flocks. They were grazing nearby. Um, they got into a spot of bother, and David's men came down and sorted out the trouble and rescued and saved the herds and, and, and Nabal's men. And now, at this point in the story, we find David himself is in need. So he sends a messenger to ask Nabal for some provisions. But Nabal's mean-heartedness caused him to deny David's request. Tough luck. No, I'm not going to help you. Off you go. Which ruined this previously good relationship that they had. And David, along with 400 of his men, set off to fight Nabal. So word gets back to David. This guy who you were previously friends with, you've helped him out. Everything's nice. Now you're wanting him to help you out. He's not going to do it. David is really, really cross. So he gathers 400 of his men, and they're off. They're on the warpath. They're going <laughs> to not just teach Nabal a lesson, probably erase Nabal and his entire household off the face of the earth. Right? But luckily for Nabal, one of his servants told his wife, Abigail, what had happened. And Abigail immediately gathered some provisions and loaded up several donkeys with them and sets off to meet David, who is now on his way to fight Nabal. And when she finds David, she falls on her face before David and begs for his forgiveness. She asks him to change his mind and to spare their lives. And it turns out David was grateful to Abigail for her good sense. You see that in verse 33. And she was pleased, he was pleased, that she had been able to convince him not to spill the blood of guiltless men that day. And we can read some of it here. 1 Samuel 25, 34 says, For as surely as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, Truly by morning, there would not have been left to Nabal as much as one male. Then David received from her hand what she had brought him. And he said to her, go up to your house in peace. See, I have heeded your voice and I have granted your petition. And he turns back and Abigail goes in peace and the crisis is averted. Now, I admire Abigail. It's a great example of peacemaking. She takes the brave step of seeking out a very angry David who was on the warpath. She had no idea if her petition would make any difference. She had no idea whether she would still be alive. She could have just turned up. David could have seen her. That's the end. She didn't know. But she made the effort to try to bring about a resolution anyway. She tried, as Verity was saying early on, to break the chain. Another example of peacemaking. So that, that example, 
I like because it involves two parties where one of the parties themselves takes on the role of peacemaker. And sometimes in our lives, that's what God wants us to do. We have a disagreement, a falling out with someone. He might want you, well, he does. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. He wants you to be the peacemaker in that situation. To bring about resolution. To go and approach the very angry person. It might work. It might not. But be a peacemaker. Another example of peacemaking we're going to look at is found in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And if you want to follow along, it's Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. It's quite a famous one with very difficult names to pronounce. So <laughs> here we go. It's the story of, well, not really a story. It's just kind of a mention in Paul's letter of these two people called Iodia and Syntyche. All right. So this is what it says in Philippians 4. It says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love. And oh, let me set a bit of context. So Paul's writing a letter to the Christians in a place called Philippi. All right. That's why it's called Philippians, because it's the Christians in Philippi. So if someone was writing to a letter to the church in Wisbeach, would they be calling it the Wisbechians? Wisbechians? Yeah, okay. All right. And in the letter, he's giving lots of advice and counsel and, you know, think about this and, and God loves it when you do that and maybe you need to correct this and watch out for false teachers over here and a general kind of pastoral letter giving help and advice to those Christians in Philippi. So here's a section of it. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. So if you've been part of a church for any length of time, you will know that disagreements happen. All right? Sadly, even within the church, there can be friction, and people can fall out with each other. It happens. But in his letter to the Philippians, Paul addresses a relationship problem that's occurred between two women. It's obviously, he's heard that there's been this falling out. And so part of the pastoral letter, he's trying to address that situation and help that to be resolved. So we don't know what caused the problem. We don't know what the problem is. But we know it was serious enough for Paul to address directly. And Paul urges both women to seek out the mind of the Lord. Now that's important. Seeking out the mind of the Lord. 
Because I don't know about you, but sometimes if I've had a disagreement with someone, I tend to dig my heels in and I'm right. And they are wrong because I'm me. And of course I'm right and they're wrong. But actually it doesn't say seek your own mind and dig your heels in. It says seek the mind of the Lord. What does God say about this? And Verity gave a, a, a testimony earlier on about how she sought the mind of the Lord and was given a completely different perspective on that situation that has caused her to reevaluate and change. Sometimes we'll be the ones that need to change. Sometimes the other person might need to change a bit as well. All right? But if we're both seeking the mind of the Lord, that's very possible. Seeking the mind of the Lord is also a good idea. Yes, I've said that. Now, it's also a very good idea to pray for the person you are disagreeing with. I know they might not be your enemy. It might feel like it at times, okay? But even then, Jesus says, what, what do you do to your enemies? He doesn't say go sneak up on them and whack them over the head. What does he say? Pray for them. Pray for your enemies. You're having a disagreement. You're having an argument with someone. What do you do? Pray for them. And hopefully it won't be a prayer of, oh, God, change their mind or, you know, I hope something terrible happens to them. No, that's not praying. That's cursing, right? We pray for them. We say, Jesus, help us in this situation. I pray you bless this person. I pray you help them. I know it's difficult between us right now. Help me to see what you're trying to show me. Help them to see what you're trying to show them. Change their heart. Change their mind, but also... Change my heart. Change my mind. Lord, will you bring reconciliation? Will you break the chain of bitterness and resentment and whatever else? Pray for them. Pray also for ourselves. There's a, a great book I read. Um, and really one of the challenging chapters in it was, it was, it's all about relationships and, and, you know, it's basically saying, you know that you find some people that are really annoying. There's some people in your life who you just, you know, you haven't, you haven't even really met them for three seconds, but already they, just something about them just really irritates you. Yeah. And then the author flipped it on the head and said, and you know what? You are that person to someone else. Someone else will find you really annoying. Right? They just think, wow, oh. So it's not always, I'm the goody and they the baddie. Well, I might, I might be the one that they might find really difficult as well. So in this story, we see Paul. He's being a long-distance peacemaker. Okay? He's writing a letter from afar and sending it to a situation far away from him. 
It's not ignoring the issues that need to be sorted out, but encouraging believers in that community to confront and deal with them. However, there's also another peacemaker in this example. Did you notice? Paul also points out his loyal companion to help these women to settle their dispute and to mediate and to help bring about reconciliation and healing. Now, we may also benefit from an outside party helping us when we are finding it difficult to reconcile with a brother or sister in Christ. Or we might find ourselves in the position of the loyal companion, helping to bring restoration and reconciliation between others. I'm very quickly going to read Colossians chapter 1, 18 to 20. Because this is, this is what this whole idea of peacemaking kind of rests upon. And here it's talking about Jesus. Remember earlier on? Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Okay? Colossians says, He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and elsewhere the Bible tells us that Jesus is peace itself. He enabled the ultimate reconciliation in all history. Through his death, Jesus paid the price required by God for sin. He broke the cycle. He took on the sin of the world and paid the price demanded by it through his death as the only perfect and sinless human. This enabled God to be reconciled to humanity. Peace was made through the blood of his cross and the ultimate peace, the forgiveness of sin and the restoration of relationship between God and humanity was made possible. As Christians, peacemaking is more than just mediating between two disparate parties and helping them resolve a conflict. It's more than that. It includes us pointing people to Jesus, the ultimate restorer and peacemaker. We all need to realize that our primary need is to be reconciled to God through Jesus. That's our primary need. And then from this position of being in Jesus, in Christ, we can extend the peace and the forgiveness we have received out into the brokenness and pain around us. It's because of our restored spiritual relationship with God that will enable us to far better deal with and restore broken earthly relationships. Trying to bring about healing without involving the healer won't produce the best result. Nor will trying to bring about peace without involving the peacemaker. 
We need to acknowledge that as peacemakers, we need Jesus to be involved in the process for true and lasting peace to be completely achieved. So whatever situation we find ourselves in, let's come to Jesus and allow him to be actively involved in every situation. Let's allow him to lead and guide us in all of life. And especially when we've been called upon to be peacemakers, whatever position that peacemaking happens in. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And I know as parents, we have to be peacemakers a lot of the time our dedication today trying to bring peace in the family and household as well let's just pray Lord we pray for peace yes on a global scale between nations that are at war with nations. People groups that are at war with other people groups. We pray that you bring your peace. But we also think closer to home of strained relationships, of difficulties we have with others. Lord, we pray for peace. Show us how to be peacemakers. That as we share your blessing of peace with others, we thank you that you will bless us in return. Lord, help us to pray for our enemies. Help us to pray for those who really wind us up. Help us to pray blessing on them. Lord, bring your peace. And I also just want to pray for peace within ourselves, within each one of us. Sometimes emotions get really stirred up and there might be anxiousness, worry, whatever it is. Holy Spirit, I just pray for everyone here today. May your spirit of peace rest upon us. Lord, like you did when the disciples were in the boat and there was that storm. And they were all freaking out. They said, Jesus, help us. Don't you care whether we live or die? And you just said, storm, be still. Waves, be still. Jesus, may you speak that same peace into the storms of life around us that we're facing at the moment. Help us to have your peace even when there's, when there's waves and wind around us. 
Thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. We look to you, Jesus. Amen.